Uh, well, we're back into uh, Luke's Gospel, and uh, we're in chapter 13 today. Uh, you may, if you've been around for the last few weeks, you will have noticed that we'd uh, had three weeks off, as well as Easter, uh, from Luke's Gospel. Uh, and we're going to be spending an, another three uh, studies together in Luke's Gospel before we then go on to a brand new series from uh, the early chapters of Genesis. So uh, that's what's coming up uh, soon. If you missed the last three on uh, the core value of caring for one another, then do listen to it online because it's a really important part of our life as a church family together. So uh, just, just if you're interested, especially in getting to know us a bit more, you'll find out more about what makes us tick and why uh, on, in those three messages. So we're in Luke 13. It's on page 1046 if you're using the Bible nearby. And uh, we're back again with Jesus on that journey that he's taking with his disciples towards Jerusalem that forms the whole second half, really, of Luke's gospel. And uh, if you remember the whole point of this journey, well, in a sense, in it, he's focusing on his purpose in coming to this world, which is actually going. His purpose is to go. His purpose is to go through the cross and the resurrection uh, as as the one who's completed uh, the work that God's given him to do. Uh, And this second half of the book is is all about this journey towards Jerusalem and what's going to be happening there. Now, if you can remember about four or five weeks ago, you you may remember that that one of the strong themes running through these these few chapters here uh, is that Jesus is saying we need to be responding to him. You know, he keeps on kind of giving examples and illustrations, saying to people, look, look, the people around him, particularly the crowds, particularly the, the religious people who were kind of analyzing everything he did and criticizing it. He's saying, look, you need to respond to me. You can't just leave it. And you remember in verses 6 to 9 in Luke 13 on page 1046, We finished our our last kind of bit with this story. I thought I'd just read the story to remind you. The story of the uh, the parable there in verse 6. A man had a fig tree. He planted it in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And we heard last time, that was a picture of the Jewish nation of that time. And Jesus is telling the story saying, guys, time is running out, but there's a bit more time. You know, it's almost like he's saying judgment is coming or you've got to make up your minds. But but like the fig tree, another bit more time a bit more time is possible we'll see this idea of the need to kind of make up your mind and 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 be clear about what you think about Jesus and how you respond to him and what he's saying through the next uh, few incidents teaching and events that Luke describes uh, in these few chapters here and he's saying to us we need to make the right decision about Jesus we need to respond to him he's on his way to Jerusalem it's getting critical So today, we're thinking about this whole idea of responding to Jesus, and we're thinking about the last chance synagogue service. Uh, You'll see why that is in a minute or two. Next week, we'll be thinking about just this whole kind of danger of missing the way, 
And then the week after that, we'll be thinking about some very big surprises on the guest list for the feast in the kingdom of God. But that's two weeks' time. So anyway, Jesus went to synagogue services all through his life. He was brought up as a Jew. Synagogue services happened on Saturdays, on the Sabbath. And certainly when he began his ministry, we know he would teach in the synagogues. He was a rabbi. He was known as a rabbi and a teacher. And we're about to read uh, the account of probably his last appearance, as it were, teaching in a synagogue. That's why I've called it the last chance in the synagogue service. Uh, what's going to happen there? Well, it's, uh, it's a significant time because things are changing. The climate is getting colder for Jesus. Chances are he's not going to be welcomed at any more synagogues after this, even if he wanted to. There are certainly no more in Luke's gospel. There have been a few in the past. Actually, there are not many more miracles in Luke's gospel from this point on either. Just a couple of ones that people he meets on the road. There's, there's none of the kind of people coming to him, bringing people to heal him and so on. There's a sense that the temperature is getting colder. Things are becoming critical. It's time to, to make your mind up. Let's read what happens in verse 10 of chapter 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said, actually the, the, the original says, he kept on saying to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bounds her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. And then Jesus asked, and the idea is he, this is all part of it as well, the original says, therefore Jesus asked, he goes on to carry on teaching, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So if you're a regular synagogue person... This was perhaps the last time you will hear Jesus speaking like this in one of your synagogue services. We don't quite know where in the the Israel it was at the time. The text doesn't tell us. Let's think about what happens. It's certainly very eventful, isn't it? It was a service you'd remember if you were there. Now there's a leader, he's like called the president, the leader of the synagogue. He's like the official, I suppose, like the vicar would be in a church or the pastor in a church like this or whatever. Uh, and he's the one who normally kind of leads the service and does the teaching. And, and Jesus is kind of guesting, you know, he's the guest uh, speaker for the day. 
What's Jesus going to be teaching about? We don't know for sure. It doesn't really tell us. But we are told in other places in the Gospels that when he spoke in the synagogues, he spoke, he taught about the kingdom of God. And later, doesn't he, at the end of, after the big furore has kind of died down, when he gets, carries on talking to the people, he says, what is the kingdom of God like? So probably that's what he's been talking about before the big furore, before it all kicks off, as it were, um, in the middle of the service, because that's what happens. The kingdom of God, that's what Palestine was buzzing with in Jesus' day. It was this idea that God had promised to do something again for his people. And that God would send someone. He would send an anointed person. Actually, that's what the word Messiah means. Or Christ, the word is in Greek. They were waiting for God to keep his promises and and get involved with his people again. and, And they were waiting for someone to come. The Messiah to come. And Jesus, when he came into synagogues, well, we certainly know what he preached in in one synagogue because Luke uh, records it in chapter 4. You just keep a finger in where you are if you're following in the Bible, but go back to page 1031 uh, because this is what Jesus taught in one of the synagogues. He he actually uh, chose to read, it says, from the prophet of Isaiah in Luke 4, verse 17. Uh, And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written. He read this out from Isaiah. This is one of these promises about this king that God was going to send. This one everybody was buzzing about, saying, yeah, well, God's going to do something. We think it could be soon. could be in our lifetime. They're all full of this thought of God's kingdom breaking into Israel's life again. And Jesus reads this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me, that's a buzzword, you know, this anointed one who's going to come, to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was the Bible reading. Uh, What was the message? Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That doesn't mean he stopped. It means in the synagogue you sat down to teach. Uh, So when he sat down, he was going to give his message. And what was the message? He began, started off by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So maybe Jesus is talking again about the kingdom of God. Maybe again he's talking about this promise of Isaiah. Maybe again he's talking about how somebody was going to come to to preach good news and to release people who were oppressed. And he's saying perhaps again, it's now, it's here, it's arrived. That's certainly what he said in Luke 4 in the synagogue in Nazareth. And as he's speaking, maybe talking about the kingdom of God, talking about the promises of God to break in with freedom and with new life and with forgiveness and all that stuff, there's a woman in the congregation who is bent right down, right double. She's not not kind of looked up for, well, it tells us, 18 years. She's got a, a problem with her spine. And uh, it's, it's caused this, this awful kind of uh, effect in her life. And Jesus quite simply tells her, you're free. He says, you're free of this. And then he heals her. He lays his hands on her. She is uh, very excited about that and starts praising God. Now, meanwhile, the vicar, the president of the synagogue, 
is pretty indignant. It says, Luke says, he's filled with indignation. And while this is going on, he starts a message of his own. He thinks that while Jesus, he's going to intervene. He's not going to let this happen in his church. Oh my goodness, no, no, no. So possibly purple with rage, it does say he was pretty worked up. He preaches a sermon, a little sermon to the rest of the, um, the congregation while this is happening. Probably the, the, the original says he kept on saying it, so it wasn't just one statement. He was pretty worked up. And he's saying to them, look, you shouldn't be doing this. If you want to get healed, everybody, you shouldn't be healed today. This is the Sabbath. This is Saturday. This is God's day. You shouldn't do any work on this day. This is all wrong. And Jesus responds by calling him and everyone else who agrees with him in the synagogue a hypocrite. He says, look, You look after your animals on the Sabbath day. Why shouldn't this woman be looked after? And the people side with Jesus, no doubt pretty verbally. (laughs) You can imagine, can't you? It's quite, quite an atmosphere in church, in the synagogue that morning. Jesus accusing them of being hypocrites, the woman being healed, the vicar purple with rage, you know, ranting and raving about being healed on the Sabbath. It's all really happening there. It was a memorable service. So what did they talk about over coffee on that day? As they look back, how will they respond to this? How will we respond to it? You see, Jesus divides the congregation. How are they going to respond? Different responses, aren't there? Some are furious. Some are all with him. Some are saying, you know, I agree with the vicar. You know, it's really quite, quite a service. So let's think about it. Because we have to ask the question, well, how will we respond? Jesus brings three things during this service. He says three things about himself, actually. Or there are three things about Jesus that we need to get hold of and uh, look at what they are. Here's the first one. Jesus brings truth with action. Think about that passage from Isaiah. It was about preaching good news, wasn't it? It was about freedom for the captives. It was about the the year of God's grace and favor. It was about God breaking in and doing something. That was what the kingdom of God was all about. That's what Isaiah and other prophets predicted. That's what people were waiting for. And Jesus tells the woman the truth about this and the whole synagogue the truth about this. But he says it's right here, it's right now. And he does, more than telling her, he does something. He lays hands on her, she straightens up, she praises God. God has done something through Jesus. What's happening? Well, you see, the vicar doesn't like it. The synagogue leader doesn't like it. Because he wants, why doesn't he like it? He would prefer, uh, you know, the bits of his religion, the message part, to be separate from the doing things part the action part he says to them actually look guys jesus don't do that here don't don't do that now just teach that's enough keep that separate see jesus does both doesn't he he brings god's word but he does something to transform this woman's life you know i've heard people say not quite like this but things like well preaching's fine Tell people the word, tell people the truth, but, you know, hey, this other stuff, doing good, well, just keep that down a bit, will you? See, Jesus does both, doesn't he? 
And as we follow him, we need to do both. We tell people good news, but we need to be good news for people. Some people say, well, look, don't, you know, some people, um, maybe not here, but I, again, not quite like this, but the idea, all this talk about meeting the needs of the city, all this talk about social work and stuff. The church shouldn't be doing social work. Don't talk about social work. Don't talk about people's needs. Just talk about the gospel. Just talk about, you know, telling people the truth about Jesus. Well, Jesus did both, didn't he? And that's why we do both. Jesus' brother, actually, James, the apostle who wrote the book of James, who quoted it last week, said this, faith without actions is dead. It's meaningless, hopeless. It's not even real faith if it's not expressed in works, in actions, in doing stuff as well. So let's not ignore what we can do in this city at this time to show people the love of God. Actually, as we're with people, we have the opportunity to tell them something because they usually ask you. (laughs) Ask people who are involved in that kind of uh, work alongside people. This Jesus won't allow anything to stand in the way of people and their needs, especially not our religious Sabbath-type rules. Nothing will stand in the way of people's needs for Jesus. Look at the Gospels. That's that's how he was all the way through. How do we feel about that kind of Jesus? And he tells the synagogue vicar and those who agree with him that they're hypocrites. That's the idea of of being a play actor. You know, in the Greek tragedies, that they were the the, the actors. Well, the the Greek word was like hypocrites because they wore masks. You know, you knew who the miserable one was, or they had a mask on, and so on. And that's how it worked. And that's where the word comes from. It's the idea of being an actor. And Jesus said, look, you know, you're, you're, you're saying one thing and doing something else. You look after animals. See, the Jewish kind of the extra bits, not the Old Testament, but the bits that they kind of put in is, is the kind of all the rules and regulations. Like, you know, the, the budget, the chancellor's budget book. You know, you've got, the, you've got the law and then you've got all the huge book of... Well, there was something like that with the Old Testament law that, that the kind of uh, the, the, the religious people all put together. And that had in it that you could, you know, you were allowed, you mustn't do any work on the Sabbath, but you were allowed to untie your, your animal and take it to get water. You weren't allowed to kind of fill a bucket and pick up the water because that would be too much like work on the Sabbath. But you were allowed to release it and let it go and, and walk. And Jesus says, you people, you know, you allow that. You can untie an animal, but you won't let me untie this woman. That's what he's saying. Words and actions, belief and behavior, they have to back each other up, don't they? It was true then, it's true for us now. And in the same way, let's turn it around, let's think about this woman. Jesus wants to change you. He doesn't just want to tell you something. He wants to intervene in our lives. And that wasn't perhaps easy for the woman in a way. He calls her out. She must have been quite embarrassed, perhaps, I don't know, about her condition. She might have known that Jesus was about to heal her, we don't know. But, but there was an element of, ooh, you know, I'm going to have to be out here. What's he going to do now? But Jesus was wanting to bring transformation into her life, into her situation. 
And you know, Jesus will do things in our lives if we follow him. Jesus brings truth, but he brings transformation as well. And if we're following him, that's the deal. So Jesus brings truth with action. That's the first thing. What else does Jesus bring? Jesus brings liberation, freedom. Maybe shouted it like Braveheart here. Jesus brings freedom. Verse 12. When Jesus saw the woman, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And look at verse 16, that point about the animals. Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath? The idea of the parallel is with untying the animal. Jesus says, you untie your animal, why can't, won't you let me set this woman free? So let's think about the woman a bit more then. Because the Bible here tells us that she's got more than just a physical complaint. In any case, often physical sicknesses are more than just a physical complaint, aren't they? In the sense that it would affect, you know, the woman had more than a bad back, didn't she? She couldn't look up. So what, what, what did that mean? Well, her dignity was gone. You know, part of our humanity is better stand and, and look people in the face, isn't it? To engage in eye contact and face-to-face encounter. This poor woman was just couldn't do that. I don't know whether she could look up when she was bent double up or what. But I suspect it would have been very difficult. That's been taken from her and it's been 18 years. Jesus actually says Satan has bound her. Now, it's very similar to the man who who was deaf and dumb a few chapters back, and I'm not going to go into all the details of it now, but it's very possible that there was more than just a physical part of this illness. Jesus says there was a, a spiritual component to it. Somehow, something had happened in her life that, that somehow this was was satanic, this was evil. It was certainly evil in the way it was worked out in her life. It wasn't what God wanted for her or for anyone to be like that. She's been robbed of her dignity. No doubt her identity is now kind of locked up in her condition. I guess people would have known her perhaps not by her name. But that bent over woman, you know. Often when you've got a physical disability, it's easy for people to refer to you. You, you know, you lose your name. You just become your condition. Maybe it was like that for her. But Jesus, we don't exactly know, except there was a spiritual element to it. And Jesus brings her liberation. Jesus is the way she's set free. God does it through Jesus here. Look at Jesus' compassion. Look how he talks about her. He, he, he understands. He says it's been 18 long years, he says. He says she's not of a bent over woman. She's a daughter of Abraham. She has dignity and value in God's sight. And in many ways, what happens here is a kind of parable of what Jesus does. Jesus brings freedom. You see, the Bible story is that our rebellion against God puts us under Satan's control. It robs us of what we're made to be. We may be, you know, quite overcome by elements of evil like this woman was, or we may be less. But 
most of us are less, I'm glad to say. But we're all in the same place, really. Look at what, what the New Testament says. This is in Ephesians 2. This is a description of what, of what it was like before these people became followers of Jesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, the things that were wrong, your rebellion against God, in which you used to live. Now, this is it. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See what it's saying? It's saying that before we were rescued by Jesus, we may not have realized it. We were, we weren't, we were just living like everyone else. But there's an element that, that part of our lives were under the dominion of evil. That's what the Bible says. Or look at this description of what happens when we become followers of Jesus, what we're celebrating tonight in the baptisms. He has rescued us, what from? From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus frees us from the control and the power of Satan. Whether it's a lot of kind of outworked in our lives in big ways like this woman or smaller ways, the source is the same. The problem is the same. Uh, And when he rescues us, he brings us freedom. We've already had a Charles Wesley hymn. Here's another one. I thought I'd never, ever do this, but here I am. I'm doing it if it works. Some of you will know this hymn. It's a story. It comes from And Can It Be, a hymn also by Charles Wesley. In that verse that says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. It's the idea of being bound up in darkness thine eye diffused the quickening ray well that means that some power came from jesus as it were and it's an image i woke the dungeon filled with light my chains fell off my heart was free i rose went forth and followed thee that's the, that's the story of what happens when we're rescued from the dominion of darkness as it says in colossians something Jesus brings freedom. That's what Jesus does. He brings us freedom from Satan's power and from Satan's hold on us. But we have to respond to him. Like the man in the, 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 the uh, song there. We have to wake up. And here the synagogue is divided. As people are all through these chapters. They have to decide. Are you going to go with Jesus or the synagogue vicar as it were? Which way are you going to go then? Freedom with the woman who's been released or stay with a religious legalism that, you know, is about just do, trying to do your best but never making it because you never do it because you need to be released. That's the thing. We need to be set free and only Jesus can do that. Sin holds us. Now, when I talk about sin, forget the tabloids, you know, forget all that stuff. I mean, that is kind of sinful, but we kind of think about sin as tabloid stuff. What it really is, it's about really loving the wrong things. God made us to love him and to love other people because we love him. And sin is about living with me at the center of everything I do. Actually bent, being bent down, looking inwards is, is kind of a good image of it, isn't it? You, know, you only see your kind of self. And, that, and that's what it is. It's me at the center. I don't want God to push me around. I don't want anyone else. It's about what I want, really. And we might not say it that way, but essentially we start kind of just living for ourselves. 
And Jesus sets us free from that. That's why he died. That's what we'll celebrate in a minute. So that, in fact, he took all the results and the consequences and the punishment of that so that we could be set free. He deals with our basic issue. Jesus brings liberation. He brings truth with action. Finally, he brings the kingdom of God. Jesus brings the kingdom. As I said, as I read it through, verse 18 says he carries on. He says, therefore, he asks this question, what is the kingdom like? Jesus hasn't stopped his talk, or maybe after the hullabaloo, he's got back up or or sat down or exactly what it was in the synagogue. And he carries on teaching. And he carries on, because all the people, it sounds like the people probably, you know, sided with Jesus. They probably said, you know, silenced the vicar and said, we want to hear Jesus. I don't know, but that's the kind of atmosphere that there was. And Jesus carries on and he says to the people, look, what's the kingdom of God like? Here's this question. And what have they just seen? They've just seen a nobody in their community, a woman who literally had no face as far as they were concerned. No, no one had probably, well, I'd say no one had probably seen her face for 18 years. This woman at the edge, this woman bowed down, this woman who, who you know, was just the bent over woman, perhaps. They've just seen this one person set free in dignity as a daughter of Abraham. And they've also seen other people, powerful people, people like the vicar, Oppose it. That's what they've just seen. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, he's talking about not you know, water, you know, mustard, cress, you know, the thing little children make. But there was a shrub. Uh, uh, there are two possibilities I've read of the trees that this could be referring to. But there was a shrub that grew in Israel that had a tiny seed and was related to the mustard plant. And it could grow quite quickly but uh, but from tiny tiny seed it would grow to about normally it would be a bush but it could grow to you know 12 14 feet or high and the birds could settle in it and so on but the point is jesus is saying something that's very small that's nothing can become something significant it grows large Jesus is probably quoting what might have been one of their favorite old testament promises about the kingdom It's in Ezekiel 17. I'm sure you all know what Ezekiel 17 says. But if you don't, let me remind you. Here it is. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and will become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. That's one of those Old Testament promises that got everybody fueled up about, whoa, the kingdom's coming. God's going to do something great. We're going to be like a cedar tree. You know, that, that was probably, possibly, in the hearts and minds of some of the people uh, uh, he heard, he, who heard Jesus, rather. And they had this idea that the kingdom would be very magnificent like a cedar tree. In fact, they also had the idea that it would burst in. That it would come suddenly. That's why John, you remember two of the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, 
uh, which they thought was going to be quite soon. Can we sit here and here? Because, whoa, we'd like to be in on that. That's going to be big. Remember after the resurrection, just before the ascension in Acts 1, the disciples said to Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And they were expecting this, this burst of, you know, the arrival of the kingdom of God. Everyone would know who the Messiah was and Israel would be top of the premier once again and, you know, everything would be wonderful and super and fine and dandy. That was the kind of idea, the expectation that they had. And Jesus is kind of turning it. He's saying it starts really small, just like a mustard seed one life at a time just like they'd seen with that woman it's encouraging isn't it for us how jesus starts how the kingdom grows one life at a time we'd like the kingdom to burst in wouldn't we i know i would in my life in my family in our communities in our city in our church, it'd be great to have a cedar tree, you know, a little sprig one minute and then a cedar tree the next. Wouldn't that be great? Jesus says, it's not going to be like, don't worry about how small and insignificant it is. It will grow. The kingdom is like that. It's going to bless many people, more than we can imagine. But it starts in mustard seed type ways. Tiny, tiny. How can that happen then? Well, because of the second thing Jesus says the kingdom is like, it's like yeast. Actually, he talks about a woman here with an absolutely enormous amount of flour. Uh, I, didn't re- I didn't notice that until I looked at the detail. You know, if I said to you, we're going be- to bake a cake, and uh, the ingredients are outside, you know, a bit like on MasterChef. Go and get your ingredients or great break off whatever it is here's your ingredients and ingredient number one was 60 pounds of flour that's a big cake isn't it that's a lot of flour at least i think it is is it bakers right um i was going to say women but i didn't say that did you notice i shouldn't that's really bad bakers men and women it's a lot of flour isn't it okay so what's the point jesus is making well how much yeast do you need to get through a lot of flour and how's it gonna, how is 60 pounds of flour going to get influenced by yeast? Well, the point is you just mix it in. And the thing is, the yeast does it. Why? Because it has life. It has a kind of life, doesn't it? It kind of does it as it's mixed. It gradually does its job. That's how yeast works, isn't it? I believe that's the case. I, don't, I never tried baking, actually. So I've done other kinds of cooking, but baking has eluded me so far. Perhaps I should try That's how it is with the kingdom of God. It starts small. It has life in itself. Well, how about that? Isn't that encouraging? About your life and mine, where we are. So, let's finish. People respond differently at this last chance synagogue service. They're drinking at the last chance saloon, the last chance synagogue service. They respond differently. Well, how will we respond then? How are we going to respond to the Jesus who brings truth and action into our lives and who will use us as part of what he still does? Words, the truth, and deeds, the transformation. How are we going to respond to the Jesus who brings liberation, who asks us to wake up and follow him out of the prison cell? Are we going to respond to his call of freedom? Are we going to live as part of that freedom movement, if you like? 
How are we going to respond to the Jesus who brings the kingdom? That seems small. That's okay. It's how it starts. It will grow. The Jesus who brings that kingdom that's like yeast. We don't need to be intimidated by the size of the flower, as it were. The scale of the, the challenge, I suppose. Whether it's in your family. You think, my family? Oh, dear. I'm not saying that about my family, but you might be. I might be. That's what I, not what I meant. But we can think, our oh, families are such huge issues. How is the kingdom of God going to spread through those issues? Or my school, where I work or where I attend or... You know, my hospital, my business, my neighborhood, my community. How on earth is the kingdom of God going to... It's so big. It's like 60 pounds of flour. The kingdom has life. So let's get mixing, as it were, and see God at work. Jesus, who brings truth and action, liberation and the kingdom, will continue as we uh, worship him together. Thanks, Peter.